Well, good morning to you. Uh, I appreciate uh, Barry allowing me this opportunity to, uh, to preach. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I'm going to give you, I, I want you to know who I am. I always hated it when speakers would get up and I was trying to figure out uh, who they were or their story because there is a story about how I'm here today and not somewhere else. In 1972, uh, my father had a radical Pauline conversion uh, through a lay witness mission. Maybe some of you in the late 60s and 70s remember lay witness missions that came through the Methodist Church to where lay people shared testimonies, came from all over the state, and they came to churches and they would share and have a weekend together. And it was a great, uh, the Holy Spirit really moved in the lives of those people. My father had not been a bad man, but my father was not a Christian. He had gone through, uh, he never missed church but he was not a Christian. And the, the Lord spoke to him, and he had a conversion of the heart, and he prayed uh, that he would have one child that he could raise in a Christian home. He'd already had three children. He felt like that he had not lived up to God's responsibility for how he should have lived before them. And right after that, my mother was found with ovarian cancer, and they told her that she would never be able to have any more children, but the Lord healed her. And then in 1974, I came along. Now, if you want to live under a lot of pressure, folks, that's how it works. Notice I know the story <laughs> you know, over and over. Uh, and then that was, and my father was uh, the example of a follower of Jesus. He loved people. He was a soul winner. Uh, he shared his faith. He became a local pastor in the Methodist Church and finally ended up being the, the pastor of our home church at Sandtown over in Neshoba County until uh, he went to heaven in 1999. He died with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, when I was 25, and I think about him every day and the legacy that he has. I thought my whole life that my life was going to be spent on a cattle farm in Neshoba County. Uh, that was my dream and my goal. We had a dairy and a cattle farm, and, uh, and that's all that I can envision, you know, to, to, live, to live that life. Went to Mississippi State University, even got a degree in agriculture until the Lord spoke to me my sophomore year, and I felt the call into the ministry, and, uh, and there I began my ministry in the Meridian District uh, with Martin Case being my district superintendent. And the Lord has brought me through many things. I went, uh, I've served in Crystal Springs, uh, Kemper County, and then finally in Central in Meridian, and served there eight years until they called me to, uh, for the position as the executive director of the Methodist Foundation here for our conference. Uh, and if you ever run across an 82-year-old woman named Linda Branding from Neshoba County, please tell her I'm still in the ministry because for some reason she doesn't think that I am uh, since I'm not pastoring at Central. So I have not been able to explain to her or any of that. Now, another part of my story is I did marry. Uh, when I was right out of college, I married uh, uh, the most blessed gift I could have, Tracy. She is, uh, she is so precious, and we have three boys, uh, BJ, who's 19, and uh, sophomore at East Mississippi Community College. And I have Aiden, who was 14, uh, and Jasper, who will not hush at 10. Uh, you'll get to experience him uh, through the life of this church as well. And he is our blessing. In 2006, we were in the height of the, uh, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. I was 32 years of age, and I felt the call to serve my nation. And so I joined the United States Army as a chaplain and have served since that time in the Mississippi Army National Guard. And like all recruiters, and my recruiter was from uh, Christ Church in, uh, right up here in Jackson, and I asked him, I said, hey, I said, do you think I'll have to go overseas? And he was like, we never know these things, Reverend, we never know. Uh, two years later, I was in the middle of Iraq, so he did know. Uh, he did know what was going to happen. 
Uh, and so I have served uh, the U.S. Army, and I love my time in the Army. I love, I love being a chaplain. I serve as the brigade chaplain for the 155th uh, Armored uh, Brigade Combat Team here for the state of Mississippi. And that is, that is where I am. That's part of my story. And as, the, and, and as the director, the executive director of the Methodist Foundation, most of you know you had Jerry Mitchell in this church who was it for so many years and set the tone. But the Methodist Foundation uh, helps churches and individuals continue their legacy going forward. And there are so many stories I could tell you. Uh, people through the years have showed their generosity and set up found, uh, endowments to help, uh, to help widows of ministers who can't afford, to set up scholarships to help uh, young people who are entering into the world, church endowment so that the church can continue to go far beyond its ways. And we need to have those conversations because there's some staggering statistics out there, folks. You know, many of us don't have that opportunity. And it wasn't until I joined the military that I realized, you know, how the bigger opportunity that we have. Uh, right now, uh, we just got, just got through the course at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. By 2030, now listen to this, this is staggering. By 2030, there will be more soldiers cohabitating together unmarried than there will be married. 2030. By 2050, Christianity will no longer be the dominant religion in the world. We will continue to see a decline in Western Europe and the United States while the biggest and the largest growth areas will be in Africa. Now we can take that and we can say, oh no, well, let's surrender the flag and we're done. Or we can do like the Apostle Paul and say, hey, now is our time. You know, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the moment to where we can reintroduce ourselves into a new generation. That's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us that, you know, that, that iron sharpens iron. So as one man or one woman sharpens another. This is what we do. Proverbs 22.1 says that we choose a good reputation over great riches. For being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. And it's time that you and I... And no matter where we are and what influence level that you have, that we begin to reclaim our name as a follower of Jesus. And it's nothing wrong with being known for being kind and loving and generous and being holy. And I don't know why we've shied away from these words for so long. But there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with reclaiming our image and not letting our culture tell us who we are, but let us influence our culture and let them know who we really are. We're going to have to have conversations, though, that are uncomfortable. You know, we, we have those. I have them with my children all the time. Uh, my oldest son, uh, uh, who's in college, I gave him the proverbial credit card and said, uh, all right, you know, I'll take care of your expenses. And when he came home last Sunday, we had to sit down and have an uncomfortable conversation about what expenses look like, you know, and how daddy's going broke. So this is how it works. <laughs> Sometimes those conversations are uncomfortable. And that's really what I want us to have this morning is just a conversation about how you and I can, can acquire happiness and maintain it. See, Jesus taught that. Jesus taught his disciples, the whole gospel is filled, the New Testament is filled with how you and I can be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father and that we can live our lives so differently than the world that we are noticed by being different and we can influence our culture in that way. The first 300 years that we existed, we had no known churches that had some formula to it. They weren't Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or Catholic or whatever. You know, they, they, had, no, they had no real power because they were ostracized by both the Jewish communities and, and, and the Romans and all of the pagans. But for some reason, for those first 300 years, it was the most fruitful time of the life of the Christian church. They were known for washing people's feet. 
They, they were known for taking care of the poor, the widows, the orphans. And when plagues came and the pagan priests would leave and run out of town, guess who stayed behind? It were, it were those Christians. They were known as followers of the way. And these followers of the way influenced people, and it was almost to the point to where you can almost hear these pagan, these pagan dads saying, you know, I don't, really, I don't really agree with these followers of the way, but if my daughter married one of them, it wouldn't be that bad. Now, they, didn't, they died in those, those plagues. They suffered. They had nothing. But they continued to live their faith. We're going to look this morning at one area of our life that nobody really wants to admit. Because, see, there are emotions in our lives that can keep us, and, and I like to call them enemies of our heart. And they're, they're enemies. They, they, they take away our peace. They take away our happiness. And we, we live so fast and so fast-paced. And I think for, for those of us who, you know, I mean, uh, some, you, you get, some of you got more years on me, but life gets by fast, doesn't it? You know, it doesn't take long to get this living thing over with. I mean, one day you, you, know, you look and you're, uh, you're a child and you can't, you can't wait. You know, I can't wait. I, I can still remember when I was six years old. You remember the Dukes of Hazard? I mean, for those of us who remember the Dukes of Hazard, as a kid, I loved the Dukes of Hazard. And I remember getting a Dukes of Hazard uh, race car set and my granddaddy coming down on Christmas Day and watching me play with that race car set. And I went back and I watched the Dukes of Hazard not long ago. What were we thinking? That was some bad TV. You know, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. But, but, our, but how fast it is, a blink. Then I was a teenager, and then I was in college, and then I was married, and I couldn't wait to have my first child, and now he's out and gone, and now I'm just watching the rest as they move past. All of it goes by fast. That's why happiness can leave us so quickly. The four, the four enemies of your heart, and we're, not gonna get, we're just going to do one, but the four enemies of your heart that I want to share with you is first is guilt, and then anger, then greed and jealousy. Today I want us to talk about greed. Now we read from Matthew chapter 12, and what I wanted us to catch from that text is that Jesus, now this is Jesus speaking, and Jesus tells those who were around him, most of them were these religious leaders, and they were trying to always trap Jesus. They were always trying to get Jesus to say something that they could put him up on trial, that could discredit him, and Jesus always turned it on them. And Jesus, in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, he made this great statement. He said, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. He said, you can only hide it so long. And then sooner or later, it's going to come out. It's the heart is your hub. So your heart is like a train station. And everything comes through your heart. And sometimes we're able to get things out very quickly and, you know, we get hurt or, or we have some pain and, you know, we move it out and it's gone. But there are other times that it just clogs that heart, doesn't it? And it sits there and it, and it, and it, and it festers. And we have resentment and, as Paul said, bitterness. And all of this begins to build up within us. And sometimes, even sometimes through our hearts, all of the good and all the bad that comes through it, we can experience greed. Now, if you've ever experienced guilt... Guilt says, you know, I owe you. Guilt says, I've done something to you. I owe you. I've got to fix it, and I'm going to do something. If you've ever experienced anger, anger is you owe me even if you don't know what you owe me. You may have experienced that in marriage. You know, we're angry. You owe me. Why? Well, I don't know. You just do. But greed says, I owe me. It's all mine. 
The bottom line with greedy people is that we believe that we deserve what we've earned. Now, if you've ever had a guilt story, if you've ever had, you know, an anger story, there are greedy people stories as well. And the most unusual with this enemy is that it disguises it so well that nobody ever really believes that it's even there. In fact, if I were to ask some of you today, hey, you know, have you ever really struggled with being greedy? Most people in the church will never say, they'll say, you know, this is going to be a good day at church because the pastor's not going to step on my toes. This is not going to bother me at all. I've never been greedy. I let people merge in front of me on, on I-55 all the time. I'm a good guy. I'm a good girl. I, you know, you need to get in front of me in the line at the grocery store. You've got it, you know. I get angry every once in a while. I've been guilty about a few things, Pastor, but I've never been greedy. You know, every time I've made that statement and I go to the Gospels, it's like Jesus saying, well, let's, let's see about that. <laughs> you know, let's take a moment and let's see about that. Because, see, greed hides it so well, especially in our culture, that greed, and if you can remember a movie back in the 1980s about Wall Street, it was like greed has become good. You know, it's acceptable. It's a virtue in our culture. We want more. We want the bigger houses. We want the better schools. We, we want everything that's nice. And if it's out there, we've got to have it. There was a commercial that came on a few years ago, and I think it was, it was about storage. And I'll never forget that the people went into their house, and they looked, and they, it was cluttered, and there was clothes everywhere, and the toys were scattered. And they said, we need somewhere to put our stuff. And so they bought a whole bunch of storage systems, and they filled it, and the house was clean, and they looked, and they felt good, and they looked at each other, and they said, you know what we need? More stuff. That's what we need. More stuff. Because more stuff's going to make us feel better, isn't it? The closest that we ever say that we are greedy is when we just say, oh, no, pastor, I'm cautious with my finances. I'm just cautious. That's how good greed hides. It hides as a virtue. We say we're savers, we're planners, we're focusing on our financial security. That's good, right? That's good. That's what we're taught. We tell our children these things. Let's do a little quick checklist because you can identify whether or not you have greedy tendencies in your life. Because this is, it's easier to see it in others than ourselves. Have you ever been around somebody who talked a lot about money and worried a lot about money? They're greedy. Greedy people are poor losers. You ever been around a poor loser? Can't stand it. They talk as they just don't have enough to get by. They're not cheerful givers. They create a culture of secrecy around them. They never want you to know what it is that they they really have. And if they ever do something for you, they never let you forget what they've done for you. They try to control you with money, and they're never content. And it has nothing to do with the socioeconomic boundaries. Some of the greatest, uh, you know, most generous people that I've ever met in my life had more wealth than I'll ever be able to uh, even imagine. And some of, the, some of the greediest people have been poor. It doesn't matter whether we're poor or whether we're rich because it's not a financial issue. See, Jesus, when he spoke to us, it was never about what we thought was obvious. It was never about, do you have bread? You know, Lord, we, you know, we got the bread. We don't have bread. What's the problem? Jesus says, no, it's leaven. He said it's something else. Jesus was speaking in Luke's gospel and in, John, in, in Matthew's gospel, and he's going to tell us, he's going to say, hey, this is about your heart. 
And if you don't get your heart under control, if you don't cleanse your heart, then the rest of your life you're going to be searching for peace and happiness and joy in every place that you shouldn't, and it's never going to give you fulfillment. Here's a quick question. Have you ever been pierced to give? And let's say you had a missionary that came and spoke at, uh, at Madison or you were at some event and, and there was some story that was told and the, the spirit moved and you're like, you know, I need to give. And there was a number that came in your head and it didn't take but three thoughts later and you'd reduce that gift down three times. That's how quick. That's how quick our enemy jumps on our heart. <laughs> Jesus said... This in Luke chapter 12, 15. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. Do you believe that's the motto in the American culture? It is not. My children, I, sometimes I listen to the music they have. You know there's a song about Jeff Bezio out there? I mean, why? Because he's the founder of Amazon. He's made so much. And people look and they say, that's, that's who we should admire. And as a follower of Jesus, I see a, a Jesus on a cross that sacrificed everything for us. And that's who I say that we should admire. The one who gave it all so that you and I could have eternal life. He warned us about it. It's subtle. And what's behind it is really fear. Greed, when it controls you, is supported by an endless stream of what-ifs, you know. What if the stock market goes down? What if, what if we have another round of COVID? What if we lose our job? What if all these kind of things? And, and, and it's always surrounded around that. And the truth is either we fear that God either can't take care of us or won't take care of us. Which one is it? I know it's uncomfortable to have these conversations, but this is what Jesus was sharing with us. We never have peace when we live our life in greed. I got Corey to share with you Luke chapter 12, 15 through 21. I think everybody's familiar with the story. It's the story of the rich farmer, the rich fool. And I know that there's a lot of medical people probably here today or you've been in the medical field. My wife is a, is a nurse. And whenever you've had an illness in your life and you go to the doctor and they, they start doing what? They're going to check your blood pressure, your temperature. They're going to check your breathing, check your heart rate. They're going to do all those kind of things because they're trying to find out what symptoms that you have so that they can make a great diagnosis. Well, when it comes to greed and it taking up residence in our heart and it lives there for years, it can be undetected by us. And it's really difficult to diagnose and especially to self-diagnose. And so Jesus shares with us a story about a farmer, you know, and, and it hits home with me. You know, I grew up on that farm, so I could understand these little Jesus little parables. I, I mean, I got it. You know, this is good stuff, Jesus. And you can just imagine the people who are gathered there that day, and they're listening to this story that is happening, and it's about a farmer who's had good fortune. And, you know, for those of us who have farmed, if you were ever raised on a farm, you know, a lot, not, not many times did you have good fortune. You just sort of got by, you know. Uh, maybe every once in a while you had a great year, but you know you just you know you survived off the land. And these are Palestinian farm people, so they understand where Jesus is coming from, and they're listening to him. And so Jesus tells them, He said, "Hey, there was this this farmer. He had a great year, and he had so much that it left him with a dilemma. And the dilemma was, what do I do with all of this bountiful harvest that I have left over? In other words, he asked himself, What do I do with all my stuff? What do I do with it all?" You know, I don't really have anywhere else to put it. Do I save it? Do I give it away? What do I do with all of the extra? And what I love about Jesus 
in this agricultural society is that he understood very quickly to let them know that harvest, harvest you have very little control to do with as a farmer, don't you? You plant the seed, but can you make it rain? Can you make the sun rise? Can you keep the pestilence from attacking your, uh, your crops at night? And the answer to that is no. And so Jesus gives us this, this guy, who this farmer, who, who begins to look over his crops and his fields and everything, and, and the one thing that he's leaving out to being thankful for is the God who's, who's made everything else happen. Instead, he thinks to himself, man, I have done so good for myself. He's suffering with a condition we call BBS. You ever heard of that? That's called bigger barn syndrome, BBS. He's struggling with it. You know, he's earned it. It's his. He deserves it. Isn't that right? That's the way it is. That's what our culture says. You earned it. You deserve it. It's yours. You can do with it what you want. And so what is his solution? The right to build bigger barns. Now, I bet he didn't know that he would, what he'd really do with all of that, but perhaps maybe he just needed a little extra later. You know. And after deciding his intentions to build bigger barns, the lander offers this explanation as to why he has chosen this course of action. Because, listen carefully, the man declares that he's going to build bigger barns to secure his future for years to come. For years to come. Jesus was pointing out that he didn't consider that the future wasn't his to determine. Time was not his to decide. His years, his life, and all of it. I don't know why we live with our head in the sand like this, even as followers of Jesus. But all of us seem to live like we've got 10, 15, 20 years extra left on our life when we all know that we have seen life end at so many different phases only to shake us for a moment but to never change our course or our hearts. In all of his planning, he forgets God. He gets off the phone. He's talked to his builders. He's excited. He said, hey, when can you come and put this up? And they tell him, they're like, well, when the rain slows down, we're going to get there. Only to not make it through the night. His heart begins to, to feel tense. He begins to have a chest pain. By the time they get him to the doctor, his time is done. And Jesus said in verse 20, he says, But God said to him, not the builders of the barn, not his spouse, not his children, not his pastor, no one else. Jesus says, God is saying this. He said, God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And here's the kicker. Then who will get everything you worked for? Who's going to get it? Can you take it with you? Are you going to be able to you know, have an account somewhere in what kingdom that is going to happen next? And who does Jesus call the fool? The man or woman who saves carefully but gives sparingly. Because you and I have been called to be people of generosity. And Jesus teaches us to combat this. You know, I grew up with uh, my family. My, my, I can't... And, and, Pastoring through the years, I've shared. More people know about my father through this conference because of stories I've told. But, uh, folks, there's nothing wrong with having integrity and being, and, and being generous. Uh, when I was on the farm, I'll never forget, we had a summer to where 
we were, uh, we were baling hay, and the, the, my daddy had promised one of our neighbors a certain amount of hay. And, and I'll never forget, we, we went, and I told him, I said, well, Pop, and that's what I called my daddy. I said, Pop, I said, we're not going to have enough hay for ourselves. I said, you know, what are we going to do about Mr. Prentice? He said, we're going to give him that hay. I said, well, we're not going to have enough. So it doesn't matter. He said, well, go buy. He said, I promise, Prentice, that. Promise. There's nothing wrong with having integrity, is there? But being those kind of, of people. Mr. Olin Basel was an old man. He was getting out of the cattle business, and my daddy wanted to rent his place. And we went over there, and my daddy said, he said, Olin, he said, I'll buy these cows from you. And he said, they're going to estimate they're going to be this amount, $500 a piece. Mr. Olin said, okay. And so we went and loaded them, took them to the stockyard. When we got through, those cows brought $600 a piece. So I was riding with my daddy, and we went to Mr. Olin's to take him his check. And we took him his check, and then daddy figured out the difference between what he had told him and what it was, and he gave him the difference. And I watched that old man weep on his porch. It's time to be these people again. They can argue with what we believe. They can argue with what we say. But they cannot argue with what we do. We can't wash feet from a distance. We get on our knees with a towel in our hand. And we become Jesus' people again. There's three areas of your life that I want you to consider. The first is your time. I want to challenge you with it. You can be greedy with your time. More stories that I've told from the last 27 years of being a minister, I've sat with folks near the end of their lives, and I've never had one person tell me, you know, I wish we would have took another trip to Europe, or I wish we would have bought another home on the beach, I wish we would have been on the mountain. What I've heard people tell me is, I wish that I could sit down and have another cup of coffee early in the morning and share my day. I've heard that. Time. Don't be greedy with it. Stop what you're doing. Go watch the kids play soccer, even though I don't understand this sport at all. Uh, I, we play it. I, can't, I don't know when we score or when we don't. Uh, you know, get out, get out. Spend some time with your spouse. Call somebody up today. Listen, folks, promise me you'll do this. Call somebody you haven't been thinking about and just check on them. It's okay to be good. We don't have to be complicated. We have to be committed, right? Faithful and loving. We're followers of Jesus. Now, the second thing is your personal gifts. And for those who are watching online, it's time for you to get back involved into the life of the church. I mean, I, I know that it's convenient, and, and I know that it's a, it's a great tool that we have, but we need hands and feet. Madison needs hands and feet. You know, if we're going to make a difference in our world, we need hands and feet. We need people working in that children's department and the, helping Corey with the youth and helping Ben out with all of the, that he does. And, and Barry, we need that. We have to have that. You've got to let, put a face to this Jesus movement and what it's supposed to look like. And then when it comes to our wealth, give. we got plenty. Did you know that if you make more than $32,000 a year, you have more money than 97% of the world? 97%. You're rich. you got rich people problems too. Do you know that? You say, oh, pastor, I'm not rich. If you have ever worried about your cell phone plan, you're rich. If you have ever worried which restaurant you're going to go out to eat to after you leave church, you're rich. Or where you're going to spend your next vacation, we're rich. And we're thankful, right? We're thankful.
God's given us so much. I close with this. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, King David said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord. This is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Everything is his. Folks, if I don't ever see you again, you put this down and you don't remember anything else about me. If I die today, I die a blessed man. I had a loving daddy and mama. I had a good life. I know how to fish and hunt and drive a tractor. Uh, I have seen the world and survived war. Been married and had children. And been loved by a heavenly father that knows no end. I'm of all men most blessed. May you feel that blessed in your life today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you do for us and for your power, for the ability that you give to us. Lord, remove any greed from our heart and may we faithfully give you all that is yours. And let us be known for our generosity and our kindness and our love and our tenderness in a world that is so calloused. We give you the praise for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Our closing hymn today is number 163. I invite you to 